Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a mental health platform that provides direct online counseling and therapy services via web or phone text communication. You don't even need to use flu powder in order to access a therapist through BetterHelp. I think we can all tell in book five that if you keep your feelings bottled up, it can start to affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off of your chest if you don't have access to Dumbledore's office. I know in my life, therapy has helped me identify patterns to help me interrupt ones that I don't feel like are healthy and find better ways to cope. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash sacred text today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash sacred text. Chapter 30, Grop. The story of Fred and George's flight to freedom was retold so often over the next few days that Harry could tell it would soon become the stuff of Hogwarts legend. I'm Casper Turkile. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. It's so good to see you. I'm so glad you're here. Yeah. Friends, before we get started today, just a couple of reminders of opportunities to see the three of us in various formation. Roll call for Holyoke, Western Massachusetts, May 8th, is Ariana Nettleman, Casper Turkile, and me, Vanessa Zoltan, for a Harry Potter Sacred Text live show at our friend Marissa's church, which we're so excited about. Then in Cambridge, Massachusetts, on May 14th, it's the women of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text with the Ariana Nettleman and me, Vanessa Zoltan. Okay, Vanessa, why don't you start off the show with a story? Yes. So my friend Katie came to visit me in Los Angeles. We met in college, and she had never been to California before. And I was like, I'm going to take you on one of my favorite hikes. And she was like, great, thank you. We, like, borrowed a dog and, like, went to Runyon Canyon on a hike. Runyon Canyon is a hilarious place to hike because a lot of want-to-be models do paid photo shoots there, like where they pay for their own photo shoots. So, like, you see a lot of people modeling, like, athleisure wear and, like, doing glam shots. And Katie and I are, like, there to sweat with – I literally don't remember whose dog we had. But there's a sign at the base of Runyon Canyon that says – Beware of rattlesnakes. 
And I don't remember what instruction it gives. It's like, don't taunt the rattlesnakes, basically. Katie said to me, there are rattlesnakes on this trail? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, do you know what to do when you see a rattlesnake? And I was like, no. And she was like, aren't you scared? And I was like, no. It's not like I'm so tough. I am very scared of other things. I'm just not scared of rattlesnakes. And what's occurred to me as I have like moved to other places and like, for example, whenever I swim in the ocean on the East Coast, I'm like, it's probably an eel. I don't even know if eels live here, but I don't know what exists in these oceans. Whereas rattlesnakes are sort of like a known enemy to me because they're a local enemy, right? They're a familiar enemy. And so there's just this idea, right? Like where you stop noticing things that are familiar to you sometimes to your detriment. She was smart enough to be scared of a rattlesnake. And I was like, I'm sure we'll be okay. And we were, I was right. But I'm just interested in that, right? That familiarity can make things that are scary, not scary, which is a good thing. And there's something beautiful about that. But then also we can stop seeing things that we should be seeing simply because they're so familiar. Vanessa, I genuinely thought the story was going to take us to a rattlesnake biting an Instagram model. (laughs) Halfway through the story, I thought of Chekhov's (laughs) writing advice, which is don't introduce a gun into a story unless it's going to go off in the second act. And I was like, oh, I introduced Instagram models and rattlesnakes and nothing happens. But this is only act one. Who knows what our (laughs) sacred reading practice might lead us to. Rattlesnakes being bit by Instagram models. Maybe Grope is a secret Instagram model. Oh my God. <laughs> Who knows? He totally could be. Okay, Vanessa, it's my turn to go first in the 30-second recap. Are you ready, Casper? Yes, I'm ready. Sound of rattlesnake cued now. <laughs> Three, two, one, go. Okay, so everyone's going down to the Quidditch match because it's the final game between Hufflepuff, no, Ravenclaw and uh, Gryffindor. And then Hagrid's like, Ron, no, Ron is flying. Uh, Hermione and Harry, you come with me. No, we're going into the forest. And Hermione's like, why? And it's eerily silent. And then, oh my God, there's a giant mound. But no, it's breathing. It's Grope. And Hagrid's trying to teach Grope English and it's bad and getting injured. And then they go away because he wants them to look after, we'll just chat with Grope. And then they run into the centaurs and it's bad, bad, bad. Then they go back in. Um, and and Ron is Weasley as our king. So good. I felt like I was cantering to the end there. I'm going to do just a few things, a few... Add a little... Frisson. Frisson. Here we go. Three, two, one, go. There is all sorts of havoc being wreaked at Hogwarts. Peeves is like having glory days. McGonagall's like, do that better. And like everybody is just like really going against Umbridge. They're coming down with Umbridgeitis. Harry confesses to Ron and Hermione that he's the one that supported the Weasley twins. And Ron is like, I'm going to be the one who gets in trouble. And Harry's like, don't care. Also turns out that Hagrid prevented Frenzy from being killed. Um, And yeah, and Weasley, Ron did really well. It's so wonderful that he did well. It is. Ron really sucks in this chapter. So, Casper, I'm interested in starting where we should always start with the bubblehead charm. <laughs> this is the glorious moment. Now that Peeves is wreaking havoc, all the students are like trying to claim the Weasley twins' legacy and throwing off stink bombs and just all sorts of horrendous things are happening all over the school. That students are creating these like bubble gum sort of like space cadet globe things around their heads so that they at least have some fresh air as they walk from one classroom to another. Yes. And what 
this made me think of is how quickly we become familiar to new things. Yeah. So it's like, oh, the hallways smell now. And like one person clearly was like, I know how to get around this. And then they just start doing it. Right. It's like my hallway was flooded for a while. And like I was just like, oh, you like just put on boots when you go into the hallway and how quickly these things can become familiar. But what I was just thinking about, and I don't know how interesting this is, but like the bubblehead charm is how Cedric survived the second task in the Triwizard Tournament. Mm. So I was wondering, this was just like a little fan fiction in my head moment. I'm guessing that one person did it first and then other people were like, oh, that's a good idea. And it became a thing. And I just wonder if they know about the bubblehead charm because they watch Cedric It seemed to me like a moment of familiarity via virality. This is like Bubblehead went viral because a cool guy, Cedric, did it. And then maybe like Cho did it or somebody else did it. I mean, I wonder if it was Cho. That would be so interesting. Perhaps she'd been helping him, you know. Yeah, brainstorm. Yeah. The thing that really interested me about this moment is what you picked up on is how quickly something that was very strange becomes normal. And I think there's a couple of factors at play One is that, you know, throughout this chapter, especially in the early pages, we see Flitwick and McGonagall could easily get rid of the swamp, for example. You know, they could easily stop nearly 90% of the chaos that's going on, but they're turning a blind eye. And they're actually, as you said, like McGonagall literally helps Peeves to unscrew a chandelier by saying, no, it swings the other round. Which, how dumb is Peeves? (laughs) I know. But... What really struck me is that they allow this to become normalized, right? If there had been resistance, it would have taken so much more courage or risk from students to put on their bubblegum heads. But instead, because like no one pays attention to the first one, it catches really quickly and then suddenly everyone's doing it. So there's there's no pushback, which I think makes it go viral in that way. And it becomes a familiar thing. If someone had been like, oh, my God, the corridor is flooded. Everyone, red alert. You can't walk through this. You know, even if it was just for our kind of health and safety reason, not that it was like a biohazard site or anything, then it would have been much more risky for you to be like, oh, just put on my boots. Well, and what frightens me about that is like the idea that we can sort of get used to anything. Yes. Especially if it's a slowly growing thing, right? Like at this point, there's been resistance to Umbridge and now there's been a tipping point and suddenly it's like everything is possible If it had gone from last year with Dumbledore in charge before Umbridge ever showed up to this, no way would people be doing it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm so glad that they are. I really love your point about how McGonagall and Flitwick and all the other heads of house, probably Snape too, although we don't hear about it, is allowing a lot of this to go on. Mm -hmm. And if they hadn't, if the students didn't just have to hide from Umbridge, but had to hide from a lot of people, this level of chaos would not be able to ensue for nearly as long as it is lasting. I love this chapter. Like, I love the energy of Fred and George have let something loose. They've let chaos become familiar, right? And they did it slowly, like water getting hotter until the frog dies, right? They've been, like, selling skiving snack boxes on the side. They've been, like, having people turn into canaries for years. The fireworks. The fireworks. Like, they have been slowly building up to this for years, and now they've, like, handed out enough of these things that it has become, like, an all-out revolution. Yeah, the thing that it's reminding me of, which shows the negative side of that, 
is, of course, climate change, right? Like when things become slowly familiar and then, you know, we just get used to the ways in which the weather is slowly changing. And, it, you know, it doesn't have that sense of urgency because we're not going from nothing to 100 in 30 seconds. It's taking 60 years. And so it's very easy to acclimatize to something that's actually on a grand scale when you look at time over hundreds of thousands of years, an incredibly terrifyingly quick change in temperature. So I do wonder, you know, knowing that we're building up to the second war, really beginning at the end of this book, is this another indication of like temperature rising? And it mm. still feels like, oh, fun, let's just put on bubble heads when actually, you know, there's something really serious brewing. I also wonder now about the bubble heads, if this is something that they learned in the DA. Well, and, and that likely they're peer-to-peer teaching it, right? Yeah. It's not like you're being taught the bubble head spell in charms, right? Okay, here's a, sorry, I'm now really interested in this with the climate analogy, because the bubblehead solution is an individual solution, right? Like, if you can do it, you can save yourself. And if you're a first year, you probably don't know how to do this yet, because you're still learning how to do Wingardium Leviosa. And well so, said. <laughs> and so I think what we're seeing here is that in moments where crisis is becoming familiar, you know, it's the people who are able to help themselves, maybe because they've got money or skill, that leaves behind the most vulnerable to stink pellets and dung bombs. I would like to think that the older students are bubble-heading the younger students. Have you been to Hogwarts? I just think that there seems to be a real sense of camaraderie here. I do think that you've gotten to the heart of familiarity, right? Like, when I moved into my current apartment, I was like, I will literally never get used to the fact that this is cinder block walls. I (laughs) feel like I'm in a prison cell. This is, like, incredibly troubling to me. I have not thought about the fact that those are cinder block walls in two years. And I don't think that that has been bad for me. Right. But I do think that, like, you can get used to water with just a little bit of lead in it and be like, meh, I'll be fine. Right. And we we don't always know. I think what I love about this bubblehead thing, I had only seen it as a good thing that the kids were like, there's a little bit of chaos now that's better than a little bit of fear of umbrage. Umbrage is being undermined systematically. And it's so exciting. And the kids are just putting on their bubble heads and going to class. But I love that you've complicated it because I don't think it's always clear if this familiarity is a good thing. Like, oh, I've gotten used to the fact that my partner has bad breath in the morning and like, that's fine. (laughs) Or is it, oh, I've gotten used to the fact that my partner comes home from work and yells at me every night, right? And not being able to notice when the water is boiling and is actually scalding you. Mm. So I think that familiarity is helpful to us when it builds trust. And I think we see that with the moment when Hagrid kind of walks into this full stadium. Hermione and Harry are excited to watch the the Quidditch match. I mean, excited, maybe stretching it, but it's, you know, Quidditch. So yay. And they see this like big, slightly injured figure of Hagrid kind of come in and be like, can you come with me? And he gives no explanation. He gives no reasoning. In that moment, the fact that they're so familiar with Hagrid and even walking in to the forest, Hermione naturally turns left to go to the the hut, Hagrid's hut. But Hagrid's like, no, no, we're going into the forest with a crossbow. And they're still like happily trusting him to go in. Now, you could say they're in mortal danger. Grope is dangerous. Centaurs are dangerous. But there's something really lovely about this moment, I think, because it it just illustrates the depth of friendship and the willingness to be like, okay, Hagrid, you know, we love you. 
And even though we know your faults, and I think this is the exact beauty of familiarity, like they know all of Hagrid, right? It's not like they're, they're just under a false impression of his good parts. They know all his weaknesses and yet they still trust him. And I think it's actually because they're familiar with his wholeness. That's why they trust him. Yes. And now I'm going to do the point that you hinted at, (laughs) which is, and this is the downside of familiarity, because they should not be trusting Hagrid right now. (laughs) Like, familiarity does breed trust. And so sometimes I think that people we trust can put us in really bad situations. Mm -hmm. And where normal alarm bells would be going off, rather than listening to those alarm bells, or like, but it's Hagrid, but it's Hagrid, but it's Hagrid. He would never let anything bad happen to us. And I do think Hagrid would literally lay down and die to protect Hermione and Harry. And so to that extent, sure, nothing bad will happen to Harry and Hermione. But what they witness, again, like Harry has enough trauma in his life. He does not need to be witnessing this war in the woods that is happening. And nor should it be their responsibility to take care of a brother that he brought in to his life against the will of his girlfriend that he's had to hide and tie down Like, Hagrid is messing up here. And it was the same criticism that we had, which Harry brings up. He's like, Miss Norbert now, don't you? Remember how upset we were that Hagrid put the kids into that situation? This situation is 10,000 times worse. And he's again endangering these kids and exploiting his familiarity with them. This is the pattern of adults making kids feel comfortable and special and familiar and then doing something terrible to them. I mean, what's 100% true is that Hagrid is not doing this to serve the kids. He's doing it to serve himself, right? It's about using these children to meet his own needs. And he does keep them safe. They meet perhaps the most dangerous creatures that they could in the forest, these angry centaurs. But Hagrid keeps them safe. And I mean, Hagrid himself is in total crisis. He's like, I'm going to get fired This is my family member who was being abused in his home family. And despite Grop's protestations, I'm keeping him safe. He's eating well. He's not getting attacked by larger giants. I'm trying to educate him. You know, I totally get the problems. But I I also see Hagrid's, he hasn't involved the children up till now. It's not been a vanity project. This is really a case of, I'm not going to be here to look after my, my sibling. And I don't even need you to feed him. Just come and talk to him once a week. It's not Hagrid's fault that he doesn't have anybody else, right? He was kicked out of school for a crime he didn't commit. He's been isolated in this only job that he can have. You know, Dumbledore has left, so he can't turn to Dumbledore. He is in a really difficult situation. And I agree with you that he has tried to protect the kids until now from this. I have great sympathy for Hagrid. And I'm certainly not sure what else he's supposed to do. And I think it's okay to ask for big help, right? I do think we should be taking each other in in moments of distress and chaos. I also really don't think we should be asking children for things. I think you're right, Vanessa. Ultimately, he could ask McGonagall, for example. And it's not that he isn't familiar enough with her. It's not like he doesn't trust her. But I think he's familiar with the answer she would give, which is, this is not a priority. And no, I'm not going to do that. And so that's why he is asking people. He even asks Harry before explaining what the task is. I know. Right? Harry promises to do it before he even knows, which does show a little of that manipulative element of of what's going on here. Yeah. I sort of do think that this is the worst side of familiarity Hmm. where you do something you really don't want to do because you love the person and you like know that they aren't wishing you any harm. Right. But just because they're not wishing you any harm doesn't mean that they're not causing harm. And like 
all the good intentions in the world doesn't make this appropriate. Yeah. So one final thing to think about in this specific scene is is even looking at that word familiar. Really, from an etymological perspective, I mean, literally within that word, we have the word for family. I really think Hagrid would not do this if this wasn't his only surviving family member that he knows, right? right. And and I think what it proves to me is that, you know, there's that old phrase, which is cliche, but that blood is thicker than water, right? That that there are things we would not do under any circumstance unless it was to protect our family. And so to some extent, you know, we have seen Hagrid's protection of and loyalty to Harry really be the number one relationship, perhaps even more than Madame Maxime, who is, you know, a love interest for Hagrid. But I think that's shifted now. I think from Hagrid's perspective, it's now about his relationship with his own brother that just, it goes beyond logic. It goes beyond what's right and wrong. You do it because you love them and you do it because they're your family. And so that that familiar thing, it's overpowering of our logic. It's overpowering of what we know to be right and wrong. Yeah, you've really moved me on this because I think for my younger brother, I would literally ask anyone for anything. Mm. And I like wouldn't care at all about the situation that it put them in. And mm. he is like not a baby, right? Like he's 33 or whatever. But to me, he is the vulnerable one. He's not. He's like out in the world doing great. But I think that if he were ever in trouble, that I would not be able to help myself from shamelessly asking anyone for anything. Yeah. But if my older brother were ever in trouble, I'd be like, too bad. You can figure it out. Figure it out, dude. (laughs) Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason... You can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started.
So Vanessa, while Harry and Hermione have been in the forest with Hagrid, Ron has somehow played like the game of his life. And as they come walking back to the stadium, they're hearing the familiar song, Weasley is our king, Weasley is our king. And they're like, ugh, Slytherin's let it go. And then they realize, no, this is Gryffindor singing it and they have changed the words. And now they're singing, Weasley can save anything. He never leaves a single ring. That's why Gryffindors all sing, Weasley is our king. And what I love about this moment as it relates to this theme of familiarity is that it takes something that we're familiar with and completely inverts it. It's a parody. It's a total parody. And it makes the familiar unfamiliar, which is just such an interesting experience, right? And also can be the most frightening, right? The horror movies that I get terrified by are not the slasher, gory, awful things, although I choose not to watch them. It's the thing that takes an everyday item like an iron or a hairdryer and turns it into this horrific weapon, which you you can never look at an iron in the same way because it's going to be like put on your face or something. What movies are you watching? (laughs) Well, I'm not watching them, but sometimes the trailers come on and then I get scared. I sometimes get scared when people like listening to reviews of scary movies. Yes. I'm like, that is too scary. I don't like... Yes, I love that whole idea. And the other thing that I really love about this sort of theory as to why Ron did well is also about familiarity. Mm. The idea is maybe now that Fred and George are gone and there won't be these like familial, familiar people watching him, pinning hopes onto him, he's finally able to do well. Yes, because to some extent, he gets to create who he is without any of these relational assumptions of, oh, you must be a Weasley, therefore A, B, and C, right? He never really gets a chance to be himself, frankly, nor does he get a chance to not be Harry Potter's best friend. From the first moment he sets foot in Hogwarts, he is defined by his relationship to Harry. And now we're seeing like what Ron is capable of as himself. Yeah, I think it's a lot of like you see people really shine as soon as they leave for college, right? It's just this opportunity to reinvent yourself. And that especially resonates for me with Fred and George being gone. He was barely on the team with them. They immediately got kicked off of the team. So there was this like pressure on him. And he got made fun of, you know, that he wasn't as good and got made fun of by them, which just adds that level of insult. Yeah. And so I think that, yeah, the fact that this is like an unfamiliar crowd means that he suddenly gets to do really well. The other thing it really reminds me of is the art of drag, right? Like that you take on a new persona with a different name and suddenly it's not like, it's Casper in a wig and a dress, but like, actually, it's Mimi. And Mimi has been living here this whole time. And suddenly she's, you know, she is taken over. And so there's this element of like taking the familiar and making it unfamiliar, which reveals new capacities to ourselves. That's what I love. Like, Ron does not expect that he's going to be awesome. I mean, he says it's not going to get any worse over breakfast. So, you know, he's leaving space for this potential. But I think that's what's lovely is when we take something familiar and make it unfamiliar or new that we reveal something hidden about ourselves. Have you changed your drag name from Pat Tisserie to Mimi? You know, this was a moment of discovery for myself. I don't know why the words Mimi came out. It kind of works. I love it. And you are so vain. You're always like me, me, me. So your your drag name being Mimi. There's a wonderful drag name whose name is Mimi I'm First, (laughs) which I love. So one other place where I see this theme of familiarity before we close this topic, Casper, is Ron's familiarity with hating Slytherin, Mm. making him into a bad person in this instance with Montague, right? So we don't know the details of what's going on, but Montague seems to be still sick, still in the hospital wing, so sick, in fact, that 
parents come to Hogwarts. This does not happen a lot. There doesn't seem to be a lot of communication between the staff at Hogwarts and parents. And usually it's like your child has been abducted and is held by Voldemort or your child was killed by Voldemort. Like it's serious when parents come. When parents come. Yes, exactly. There's no, like, parent day where Hermione's parents come and are like, what are your classes like? Tell me about this bubblehead job. Yeah, that doesn't happen at Hogwarts. So Hermione is like, don't you think that we should tell everybody what is happening in case it'll help cure Montague faster? And Ron is like, nope. And, like, that's it, right? He's just like, no. Like, he's a Slytherin. Don't care if it helps him cure faster. Don't care if Montague ever gets better. He deserves it, doesn't he, by being on the Inquisitorial Squad. Mm -hmm. And, like, sure, I'm not a fan of the Inquisitorial Squad. They sound a lot like Hitler Youth, right? They sound like a band of young people making really bad and therefore dangerous decisions. And so, sure, I definitely think Montague has messed up terribly. But the fact that Ron so flippantly and so quickly is able to dismiss the possibility of helping him, I think is because he's so familiar with this feeling of like, Mm. Slytherins treat me like crap. They sing Weasley is your king. I treat Slytherins like crap. And he's just fallen into this like dehumanizing relationship. Yeah. Yeah. The polarization is so broad at this point that there's just no room for any sort of empathy, which one would hope would change if he was like actually in the room looking at Montague and coming face to face with the consequences of this kind of rhetoric. But you know what is interesting to me is that this happens straight after what we saw happen to Marietta, which, of course, was Hermione creating this, you know, very nasty jinx, which, as far as our knowledge, has not been solved yet. And so we're starting to see victims, I don't want to say on the other side, but we are starting to see the toll of getting in the way of, you know, Potter and the trio as they start to really wreak revenge of some sort. So I think the main point that we're seeing is that, as you said, that pattern of difference is now being so deeply ingrained. It's not just insults. It's not just slaps here and there. It's like potentially life-threatening injuries that are now being treated as whatever. Yeah. I wonder if Hermione can't confess to the Marietta thing because she would get into trouble, Mm. although she should anyway. And this now feels like a way for her to redeem herself a little. Oh, interesting. Fred and George are gone. Fred and George are the ones who actually did this thing to Montague. None of them are guilty, but they know. So they could confess and not get Fred and George into any additional trouble. And it would be a way for her to make some sort of atonement for what she did to Marietta. But yeah, they are getting into some bad patterns here. Yeah. Vanessa, we're continuing with our spiritual practice for these week's Pardes, where we choose a sentence at random and take it through a four-stage Jewish reading practice. So I'm going to choose a sentence, and it is this one. Sure enough, Harry could hear a distant rhythmic rumbling. Let me read that one more time. Sure enough, Harry could hear a distant rhythmic rumbling. So let's start with the pshat, the P of Pardes. What's literally happening here? What's the narrative? What's going on? So they arrive somewhere in the Forbidden Forest. Hagrid has just told them vaguely what's going on. And then there's like this mountain in front of them. And Hagrid's like, oh, we're here. And sure enough, Harry hears something that he doesn't understand what it is. And it turns out that it's Grop like snoring. Yeah, amazing. 
What a great quote you picked. So let's go to step two, remes. So this is the R in pardes. So here we ask ourselves if there's a specific word that we might trace through the seven books and to see if there's a sort of pneumatic tube that's formed between all the times this word shows up and each little split second when we see that word, we get another element of depth to it in this sentence. So let me read it and then you get to choose a word. Sure enough, Harry could hear a distant rhythmic rumbling. I would like to do distant. Distant. Yes. Okay. Well, let's think about where we have that word distant or distance in the book. The first thing I'm thinking of is in the very opening chapters of book one, where Vernon takes the Dursleys to the island, right? Distant away from their own house and even like across the sea just to try and get away from the incoming outpost that's just barraging the Dursleys. Yeah, and how distant Hogwarts is, right? Mm. Like it's secluded in Scotland and very far away from the Dursleys in Surrey. There's also a constant geographic kind of story being told about Voldemort, right? He starts in this very far away kind of Eastern European enclave. And throughout book four, especially, I don't know, I feel like with Bertha and with the gardener, like he's coming physically closer. And obviously there's been agents of Voldemort very, very close. But now with Dumbledore is going more distant. I don't know. It feels like around the center of Harry, this spatial movement is really, really important. And, oh my goodness, that reminds me of Harry's dreams, which we also see in this chapter, that he wants to get closer and deeper into the Department of Mysteries and get closer to these kind of glowy, cloudy orbs that we want to learn more about. So Mm -hmm. that tension of like being far away, coming closer, that word distant is so evocative for me. Yes. I'm also reminded of like in Goblet of Fire, when Voldemort and Harry's wands connect, you know, he can hear his father's voice and all of these voices of the people who've been killed by Voldemort. And he, Lily's voice is described as distant. Hmm. And I think his relationship, right, like the mirror of Eris said, it's like he's so close, but he's distant. That's really interesting because in this book, we also have in Snape's memory, when James is showing off with Sirius and the other boys, Lily and other girls are sitting off at a distance. Mm-hmm. Um, so Lily, just that kind of image of Harry's mother is always distant, right? Yeah. There's It's always beyond what he can reach or really engage with. So when we read in this in this phrase, sure enough, Harry could hear a distant rhythmic rumbling. I feel like that for me now has echoes about his relationship to his parents, that like oncoming rumbling of the war and the and the greater violence with Voldemort that's coming. This mountain of Grop represents family. It represents danger. We're seeing a lot of that just in this little phrase. Yeah. And also how different that rumbling must sound to Harry and to Hagrid, right? It sounds threatening to Harry, but it's like a familiar sound. Yeah. I can pick my dad's snore (laughs) out of a thousand snores. I'd be like, that one's my dad. There's something just like so beautiful about the sounds that you recognize of your family. I remember as a kid sitting under the stairs and I loved to guess who was walking and who was, you know, and like testing, like that's Jonathan, that's David, you know, and, and loved the feeling of being right. I still love the feeling of being right. <laughs> so much has changed. Yeah. So this brings us to drush, the D in Pardes. And here, the way we do this is to think about what's the message that we might want to share. If, if we were reading this as our Pasha, as our piece of text that we want to teach from, what's the teaching that we want to offer? Excellent use of Pasha. You know, I know things. Yeah, you do. <laughs> so let me read it one more time. Sure enough, 
Harry could hear a distant rhythmic rumbling. I guess my sermon would be like, what is the distant rumbling Hmm. in your life? Like, what is the thing that's right in front of you that you're not seeing, but that you should be? Hmm. Um, And I can answer for myself. Like, I have not been taking care of myself, you know, just like working 10, 11 hour days. And instead of reading or going to the gym, I just like crash in bed with my iPad and Grey's Anatomy at night, which is like lovely in a lot of ways. (laughs) But like, it's not sustainable. And that is like present in my life. That's so interesting because the the phrase that really sticks with me from this little scene, which is outside this specific phrase, but I think is connected to what you just said, is Hermione asks, who is he? And Harry's like, that's the wrong question. (laughs) What is it? What is it? You know, because he has not yet seen that this is a living thing, that this is, if not human, certainly alive. And I feel like that distant rhythmic rumbling, right, it's so easy to think about other people's lives as distant and rumbling off somewhere else. And to, you know, maybe it's your neighbors. That's just the noise that you hear. Or maybe it's the people that you have to work with who just send annoying emails or right. Like there's so many ways in which we can dehumanize others and and think about them as it's, which kind of relates back to how we were thinking about, you know, Ron's vision of Montague as, as this distant, unhuman nearly person who like I don't care if he suffers right like figure it out while if there was you know if he was standing in front of the hospital bed in the way that Harry is standing in front of Grop sleeping you know if Ron was looking at Montague sleeping would he be as callous I hope not I don't think he would so now comes the final step of Pardes which is the the S the sowed and the sowed is the secret and here we try and open ourselves to the text so we're not trying to dig into it or to analyze it in some way. But it's it's really about letting the text kind of reveal something to us. And I'll read it once more and we'll see if a sode arrives. Sure enough, Harry could hear a distant rhythmic rumbling. I'm not sure if this is a sode, but I was really responding to the first two words, sure enough. And I guess the secret for me is that the classic, this too shall pass, but that Just as we can be sure of human goodness and love, we can also be sure of human frailty and discord. And so I feel like this could be the descriptor for each of the seven books, right? Like, sure enough, Harry could hear a distant rhythmic rumbling. We know that at the end of every book, there's going to be some sort of climactic moment. And that that is always coming closer. And I think that's true in our own lives, too, where at least for me, whenever I feel like, oh, I finally did that thing. Now I'm going to feel different. Hello, another thing that I can feel about, you know, and that's just what it means to be human. Yeah. I don't know. How about you? I mean, you doing this like constant rephrasing of like, would Ron see Montague differently and what it takes for Harry to see Grop differently. It does just like remind me of my story how when I'm on a hike, there are all these other lives happening around me, whether it's Instagram models or rattlesnakes, right? (laughs) But that there's, I'm there for the mountain. And I think that it is a place that I tend to forget about, like, other people are also walking this mountain. And I I guess I should think about that more because that's, like, basically what pilgrimage is, right? Mm. It's not just about the space, but it's about the people who have walked it before you. Mm -hmm. And when I'm on a like capital P pilgrimage, I think about that. But I don't think about that when I'm on a hike. And especially not when the people who've walked it before you are taking selfies. (laughs) But I guess we have to love everyone. (laughs) And yeah, I just wonder, you know, I think 
I just want to do that more, hear the distant rumbling and have that humanize the world around me. Mm, That's beautiful. Thanks, Vanessa. Thank you, Casper. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This week's voicemails from Tess. Hi, Vanessa, Casper, and Ariana. My name is Tess, and I'm calling from Wisconsin. I just want to thank you all so much for everything that you do with this podcast. A few weeks ago, I was listening to your episode on happiness with Gretchen Rubin, and it really struck a chord with me. This is because at the time, I was really unhappy working a job I didn't enjoy on a career path that I wasn't really sure was for me. I had spent years in school, and it had been my dream to work in my chosen field. However, I found myself in a job working for somebody I didn't respect and who had little respect for others. On top of that, the job itself was absolutely soul-crushing. I had played around with the idea of leaving for a long time, but I'd found it just really hard to take that step. One night... About a month ago, I put on the podcast and I started cooking dinner and Gretchen Rubin began to tell her story about investing so much time and so much of herself in a law career, achieving one of the highest positions within that field and realizing that it just wasn't for her. It inspired me. I went in the next day and I gave notice at my job. I've been away for about three weeks now, and I can say that I'm the happiest I've been in a really long time, and I'm connecting with parts of myself that I had cut off just to make it through the day. 
This time is a challenging one, and there's a lot of temptation to go back to a steady job in that field. But when I begin to think that way, I just remember what Dumbledore told us about deciding between what is right and what is easy. So I'd just like to bless anyone who is in a job or on a career path they're really just not quite sure about. As the saying goes, you don't need to cling to a mistake just because you spent a lot of time making it. And there is a path forward. Thanks again for all that you do and sharing so much of yourselves. It really does make all the difference to me. Tess, you know what we're going to say. We love quitting things. We love quitting. Everybody quit everything except (laughs) Casper and Ariana, Maggie and Julia. (laughs) I'm so glad that worked out. And uh, I'm so glad you enjoyed that episode with Gretchen. She's the best. Vanessa, it's time for us to bless someone from the pages of this chapter. And, you know, we don't get to spend a lot of time with Grop outside of this chapter. And I, I feel like a blessing for him is something I want to give. He's tied down. He's in a foreign place. You know, Hagrid says that he's fine for food, but we see him like trying to eat a bird's nest that doesn't have any birds in it. I I don't know if he's at least eating food that he likes or is comfortable with. I guess my blessing is for anyone who's gotten out of a situation that was awful, which Grop has. He's away from being abused and bullied by by larger giants, but in some ways has ended up in something that's different, but also really hard. And we're not sure yet what's going to happen with Grop, right? He He's going to be probably left without his brother with two, you know, 15, 16 year olds to look after him. So I guess anyone who feels stuck between a rock and a hard place, between mountains and a forbidden forest, this blessing is for you. I would like to bless our darling Hermione. She is not her best self in this interaction between Ron, she, and sort of the idea of Montague. And I do think that she lets us go because she has a crush on Ron and is picking her battles and picks the wrong battle here. And so I want to offer a blessing for anybody who has let a crush make them do something that isn't their best self. Peer pressure is real. And I, I also think it's particularly hard for women. I think women get tired of being shrill or naggy or whatever, like horrible things gets thrown at them when they're trying to be responsible or leaders. And and I just feel like she backs down against her better instincts in this moment. And I wish better for her than that. So, You've been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and join our Facebook group to chat with other listeners about this episode and all sorts of other good questions. You can also come and join the hundreds of people supporting us on Patreon and leave us a review on iTunes. I read every single one. You can send us a voicemail to harrypottersacredtext at gmail.com, and we hope very much to see you at one of our live shows in Holyoke, Mass. on May 8th, in Cambridge on May 14th, and Vanessa will be in London on June 8th. Yeah, well... Next week, we are going to be doing a special Owl Post edition with the Reverend Dr. Matthew Potts. Yay! This episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is produced by Not Sorry Productions. Executive produced by Ariana Nettleman with editing support from Ariana Martinez. Our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Bull, and we are a proud part of Night Vale Presents. We'd like to thank Tess Schleitweiler for this week's voicemail, Julia Argy, Maggie Needham, Danny Egan, and Stephanie Paulsell. Thanks, everyone, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Grop. 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 Grop.
Grop. Do I have to say it British? No, you can say Grop. Grop, yeah. <laughs> poor Grop. <laughs> but, and like, poor Grop that he's like tied to the, I can't I'm say sorry. it. No, it's like Brock. Hey, this is Brock <laughs> and Chad. <laughs> and, and, yeah. No, it's, uh, no, no, it's like, it's like Chad. brand names. Chad. Chad, Chad Brock, <laughs> Grop. <laughs> Poor Chad. <laughs> oh my god, I love that. 